Hello there, my name is Ivan Ornelas, and this is the first podcast of Tectonic Takes, part of the Beautiful Game Network and covering the San Jose Earthquakes of Major League Soccer. So, a little bit about me, since there may be some of you listening who don't know who I am. Some of you probably do know who I am, but anyway... I'm Ivan Ornelas. I am 24 years old. I am originally from the Bay Area, but these days I reside in San Diego. I went to school at UC Davis, so I that's where I became familiar with the United Soccer League as well through going to Sacramento Republic games. That was back when they were the affiliate team with San Jose Earthquakes. Now it's Reno. And I've studied communication studies and that along with my passion for sports in general, but especially San Jose Earthquakes and soccer has served me well in my pursuits in covering this game. I have written articles for... MLS Multiplex. I appeared in some of their podcasts and I've also written on some other blogs as well. But overall, as much as I enjoy writing and covering the game, I'm first and foremost a fan of soccer and I'm happy to have this opportunity to cover this game with you. This is a bit of a work in progress. We're going to figure some things out as we go along, including if I'll have a permanent co-host at some point, or if I'll be having guests from here on out. For the meantime, it's just me sharing my thoughts with you, the listener, and hopefully that'll be okay, and we'll go from here. So the main thing we're going to talk about today, of course, is the quarterfinal matchup of the MLS is Back tournament between San Jose Earthquakes and Minnesota United. One of these teams, I think we could have expected to get this far. Minnesota United, they're not one of the best teams of Major League Soccer, but they are up there. They are a consistent team as of now. They made it to the postseason last year in 2019. And they're a very solid and well-rounded team with a very good coach and Adrian Heath. San Jose Earthquakes, I think, defied expectations by getting this far. Even after FC Dallas withdrew from the tournament and Chicago Fire was placed in Group B, I expected San Jose Earthquakes to get out of their group, but get out in the round of 16. So the fact that they made it to the quarterfinals, and not just made it to the quarterfinals, but did so as the winners of Group B with 7 points, that was impressive, that surprised me, and I was very happy about that. But that's where the happiness sort of ends, because for those of you who didn't watch the game, Minnesota United not only beat San Jose Quakes, but did so very comfortably by 4-1 to one margin. So we'll go through the goals real quick. Minnesota United opened the scoring... In the 20th minute through Robin Lowe, there's a pretty well-worked goal through a set piece. Uh, It was a second ball in, and unfortunately, 
Quakes couldn't deal with it. Judson lost his marker, and that gave Robin Lode the opportunity to score from point-blank range. Conceding from set pieces is always going to frustrate people as a fan. Sometimes there are set pieces you can just do nothing about. But this wasn't like if Lionel Messi was taking the free kick and he just does his messy magic and you're like, well, what can you do? This is MLS and this was a very scrappy corner kick set piece situation that Minnesota United took advantage of. And you think, all right, that's fine. They got one goal. It's not the end of the world. 90 seconds later, San Jose Earthquakes concede another goal to Ja'Cory Hayes. And this came off a rebound from Daniel Vega's save. And it was a simple enough effort that Vega should have been able to help hold on to. An MLS-level goalkeeper needs to hold on to that or do better, carry it away. Heck, even a USL level or any sort of level goalkeeper you'd expect to do better than Daniel Vega did on that shot. So 21 minutes into the game, San Jose Earthquakes are down 2-0. And that's a huge mountain to climb. It's a tough ask for any team to come back into the game 2-0 down and not even 30 minutes have passed. And this was also the second time in two games where San Jose Earthquakes conceded a goal shortly after another goal being scored. Against Real Salt Lake in the round of 16, this came after their opening goal, where Real Salt Lake immediately responded to level it up 1-1. And I was thinking, wow, that's one of the most frustrating things that could happen, for you to get the lead and to immediately concede after. It's a very cliche thing, especially if you play a lot of FIFA. Unfortunately, kickoff glitch, it happens, and you have to hear the commentators tell you how stupid you are for conceding right after uh, scoring. But when it happens in real life, it really does suck. Then this game happens, and something worse than that happens. It's ridiculous, and even though we know that San Jose Earthquakes can come back, from a two-goal deficit and still win the game. I think we know that, especially after this match ended, the game against Vancouver Whitecaps was an anomaly. It was a thrilling game. It was one of the best games I've seen during this pandemic period. It was fun to watch, but that is not sustainable. You cannot expect every game to go like that. It really doesn't happen that often, especially not for San Jose Earthquakes, who have the ability to pull that off, but not very often. They're not LAFC. LAFC can score their way out of trouble much more often than San Jose Earthquakes can or any other team in MLS can. So anyway, we go into the second half. San Jose Earthquakes did play better in the remainder of the first half. Mateus Almeida gave a very spirited team talk during the hydration break. And that's what I do appreciate about Almeida. He knows what to say, when to say it, and he doesn't give up. I don't think there's a bone in his body any part of his DNA that suggests that Almeida quits 
He's been in very many tough situations before throughout his career. And I do think he's still a fitting manager for San Jose Earthquakes. It would have been nice to have gone in 2-1 down rather than 2-0. But unfortunately, the truth of the matter is that San Jose Earthquakes did not carve out any good opportunities in that first half. It was a better end to the first half simply because Minnesota didn't open the floodgates yet. Other than that, though, it was hard to find signs of San Jose finding their way back into the game. They did earn the benefit of the doubt from that aforementioned Vancouver game, but it's, it's still going to be tough. Fortunately, thanks to Ja'Cory Hayes' handball, it was made a little bit easier. Magnus Eriksson, who has made 8-for-8 eight eight penalty opportunities as a San Jose Earthquake, he converted from the spot again, and suddenly it felt like it was a new game. It was 2-1. There were still 40 minutes left to go in the game, plus stoppage time. If the San Jose Earthquakes could keep it together and continue to pile on the pressure, subbing Chris Wondolowski and a few other players, there's a good chance that San Jose Earthquakes could have somehow won this game. But once again, they could not go that long without conceding another goal. Luisa Maria made it 3-1 to at the 56th minute. He's a pretty good player. He's had his struggles with Minnesota United. He set himself a very high bar by saying that he expects himself to score 20 goals in a season. Fortunately, we haven't had a regular season for him to test out that theory. But he, once again, proves to be a thorn in San Jose Earthquake's side as much as he was in that earlier game in March. And at that point, it was tough to imagine San Jose Earthquakes could get back into the game. And it went from tough to game over in the 86th minute when Marlon Hairston one of the more outspoken players in Minnesota United for any of Major League Soccer during this period of the George Floyd, Black Lives Matter movement, and I respect him a lot for that. Fortunately, he ended up scoring against my team, though, which sucks, but Minnesota United can be pleased that they got good performances from him and pretty much everyone on their team. can't think of, other than... That Corey Hayes handball, anyone else really did themselves injustice for Minnesota United. It was a complete performance for them. It was a head-scratching one for the San Jose Earthquakes. In their series between these two teams, San Jose Earthquakes won the first four encounters when Minnesota entered the league. Since then, and particularly during this period where Almeida was the head coach of San Jose Earthquakes and Adrian Heath, the head coach of Minnesota United, Minnesota have won their last four games, including this one. I saw someone hint that this had the makings of being a rivalry, and I think that shows that there is a 
willingness to make anything a rivalry in sports these days. I don't believe that geography is the end-all and be-all of there having to be a rivalry. Of course not. One of the biggest rivalries in American sports, Boston Celtics and Los Angeles Lakers, they're on opposite ends of the country. So that doesn't have to be a limitation. However, in order for there to be a rivalry, there has to be some period where there is parity, like they're trading wins. One team wins one game and then the other team wins the next game. It's either been all San Jose Earthquakes or all Minnesota United. That doesn't make it a rivalry. Not only that, but there should also be a mix of results in games that matter. And frankly, San Jose Earthquakes, they haven't won a playoff game or tie in Major League Soccer since 2010. That is a long time. 2012, when they won the Supporters' Shield, the Goonies season, they unfortunately got knocked out in the first round by LA Galaxy. When they finally made it to the playoffs again by beating Minnesota United, that was probably the most meaningful win San Jose Earthquakes had. Then they got knocked out by Vancouver. This time, Minnesota United gets a leg up on the San Jose Earthquakes in the next important fixture four years later in this MLS's back tournament. Although San Jose Earthquakes did beat Real Salt Lake, this isn't the regular MLS season, this isn't the MLS playoffs. It is nice that San Jose Earthquakes can win a knockout game that isn't a U.S. Open Cup game. But this team still has a long way to go. And going into this game, I thought that Minnesota United had the slight edge at least. Not just because of their better record against the San Jose Earthquakes in recent games in particular. But simply due to the way that these two teams made it to the quarterfinals. San Jose Earthquakes... They beat Real Salt Lake 5-2 in very convincing fashion. However, they needed two penalties as well. Scratch that. They didn't need the penalties. They still were 1-3-2. But the two penalties did inflate that scoreline against Real Salt Lake. Minnesota United had to go through a penalty shootout to knock out Columbus Crew. But they knocked out Columbus Crew. Beating Columbus... The way they've played in this tournament is more impressive than beating Real Salt Lake, who are st still a bit of a rebuilding team as well. A bit of a player by player, or at least, you know, we'll go through goalkeepers, defenders, and all that. Minnesota United have a much better goalkeeper. They have Tyler Miller. He had a great season with LAFC last year. And he's doing work for Minnesota United this year. Daniel Vega, I think he's an average goalkeeper at best. That's when he's not making mistakes, which unfortunately he makes far too many of them. Defensively, even without Ike Opara, Minnesota is still better as well. 
Aikopara, he is one of the best defenders in the MLS, but he's not their only good defender. They have good full fullbacks with Gasper and Dotson. Michael Boxel is a uh, New Zealand international. He, he's experienced. He's pretty good for MLS level. Jose Aja is pretty good too. Defense isn't an issue for Minnesota United. Defense, unfortunately, proves to be an issue time and time again for San Jose Earthquakes. And while I think fullback-wise you can do a lot worse than Nick Lima and Tommy Thompson, they are not at the top level of the fullback food chain in terms of MLS. Osvaldo Alanis, he's a good player. Unfortunately, though, he's the only signing that San Jose Earthquakes made this window even though they had a tough end to the season. It's a mix of factors. It's a mix of board, money. Almeida wanting to give a lot of players another chance, perhaps. But the center back situation in particular needs to be addressed. Graham Kashia, he played well in the Netherlands with Vitesse, but I think this tournament shows that he may not be a starter for San Jose Earthquakes if they want to really contend for playoffs, to go further into MLS playoffs, and so forth. Florian Youngworth deserved more of a look in. I'm not saying if Youngworth plays this game that this would have been a different outcome, because as good as Youngworth is, he's played for the Earthquakes in some blowout losses as well. Fortunately, I can't think of any major San Jose Earthquakes player who hasn't suffered a heavy loss, which is unfortunate, but that's where this team is. Midfield, I think, is closer, though. And in some areas, San Jose Earthquakes has a bit of an edge. In terms of holding midfielder, Jitsen is very Jekyll and Hyde. He does his role very well at times. But he has no offensive teeth to his game. Anytime he takes a shot, I just assume it's going to be a goal kick or an easy save. And unfortunately, Judson made a mistake or two in Real Salt Lake. And he made a pretty big mistake in this game against Minnesota United. I'm not saying players can't make mistakes. It is impossible to have a game of soccer without there being any mistakes. Every goal comes from a mistake at some point, and it's about, on the offensive side of things, being opportunistic and being clinical. However, the types of mistakes we've seen different individuals of the San Jose Earthquakes and the team collectively make is pretty tough to bear as a fan. Anyway, Holding midfielder-wise, Osvaldo Alonso is more accomplished. He's a more talented player than Judson. Alonso has won MLS Cups with Seattle Sounders. He's a very good uh, addition to Minnesota United. And he's also a pretty big reason why their defense is so good, too. There is a comment made by Taylor Twelman in the game that Osvaldo Alonso doesn't stray too far from the triangle that is formed with him at the top and the two center backs right behind him. And his defensive solidity allows 
Michael Boxall and other center backs that he plays alongside with to make more passes in their own third, to take a few more risks, to pressure more defenders, because if he gets beaten, then Alonzo provides cover. Alonzo does that role better, or at least as good as anyone else in MLS can, which is a very difficult role to pull off. It's not a role that lights up the score sheet in terms of goals or assists, of course, but it's vitally important, particularly in a league where goals happen left and right at times, because owners in Major League Soccer, they invest heavily in attacking players for their designated players' slots. That's why we see players like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Carlos Vela, Javier Hernandez come to the league. We don't see defensive players come here that often. Who's going to use a designated player slot on Giorgio Chiellini, for example? I would love to see him in MLS. I'm sure he's fine at Juventus, but even if he wanted to be in MLS, we don't get a lot of designated player signings go towards defenders, which means that if the attacking talent outweighs the defensive talent, there's going to be a lot more goals. And almost every time there's a goal on social media, you've seen the replies, oh wow, MLS defending is trash, it's so bad, like I can defend better than that, I've seen better defense in my high school games or whatnot, this is why the European leagues are better. And that's besides the point. No one is going to disagree that the Top five leagues in Europe in particular, and maybe a few others like the Eredivisie, are better than MLS. That's fine. Can't do too much about that. As much as MLS is improving as a league, they do not operate in a vacuum. Every league is trying to improve. They're trying to get more better players. But... The point is, all these factors are why an Osvaldo Alonso player makes a huge difference in a team like Minnesota United. In other parts of the midfielder areas, Jackson Ewell is one of the best young midfielders in MLS. There's an, another young midfielder that is getting the headlines for his role in particular. Ayo Akindele is not the one I'm referring to, although he had an exceptional tournament for Toronto FC. He's more of a forward player. But I was referring to Brendan Aronson, who will still be in this tournament. Philadelphia Union did make the semifinals, and he is a terrific player. Jackson Ewell is on the similar lines. He is a center midfielder. He's a good passing outlet, attacking option. He is an important part of that midfield battle. I think Jackson Ewell would probably be an important player if he was playing for many other good MLS teams. And then the front three of the Earthquakes midfield being Christian Espinoza, Magnus Eriksson, and Vako Kazashvili. When they are all playing at their best, granted that hasn't happened too often, in the last year or so, they are a formidable midfield. Vaco isn't the most consistent player in the league, 
but he's very talented, and he showed that talent at times throughout the MLS's back tournament. Minnesota United's midfield probably has slightly less individual talent than San Jose Earthquakes, but they are not slouches either. Robin Lode and Jan Gregus in particular are pretty good players. And then in attack, I think both of these teams have one very good attacker, and then the rest, they're good complementary pieces. At times, anyway. I don't even have to say his name for the San Jose Earthquakes. You all know him. The MLS all-time leading goal scorer, Chris Wondolowski. I think it was the Black and Azul podcast that likened him to Mariano Rivera, the baseball player, as he's a closer because of the multiple times in this tournament, three games in a row, he scored a goal off the bench. That would make him, I guess, a pretty good closer in baseball, I think, even though a closer usually refers to a pitcher. They're not the ones scoring the runs, but they are sh shutting down the game. And essentially, if you can score off the bench that consistently, like players such as Javier Hernandez, or if you go further back, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did for Manchester United as super subs, I guess that fits. I like that comparison. Minnesota United don't have uh, Darwin Quintero anymore, but their replacement for him, the Paraguayan Luis Amaria, he's been pretty good. Can't say that he's backed up his prediction of 20 goals in every game he's played in, but you can see the talent there, and I think Minnesota can be pretty happy overall with him and his contributions so far in 2020. In terms of options on the bench, and it should be noted that while MLS teams were allowed 12 players to be on their bench for the MLS's back tournament. Sam's Earthquakes were able to fill in all 12, while Minnesota United, they could only fill in 9 spots on the bench. Well, that doesn't sound too bad because a normal bench usually is only 7 players. Two of those were goalkeepers. And the rest were mostly midfielders and forwards. Minnesota do have some good options off the bench. <clears throat> the fact that Kevin Molino, the Trinidad and Tobago international, didn't even play in this game. Minnesota won 4-1. Shows how good some of their depth is. A key player missing from Minnesota United was Ronald Metinair, the Madagascar international. And he played in that team in the most recent African Cup of Nations and made to the quarterfinals. That's pretty cool to see players in MLS have that kind of international experience. Obviously, you don't expect 
them to play for the national teams of the bigger teams like England, Spain, France, Belgium. But it's still cool nonetheless. But that was a big miss for Minnesota United. My apologies. The players that were on the bench for Sam's Earthquakes, their backup goalkeeper was JT Marcinkowski. Fun fact about him and Wondolowski by extension. Both of them and myself, we went to the same high school, although... Chris Wondolowski, he graduated long before I went to that high school. And I think JT Morsinkowski, he was a bit uh, after me. I think I was a senior when he was a sophomore. But anyway, that was, that was a pretty cool fact. And... He was possibly going to enter the game in the 6th or 7th minute because Daniel Vega did suffer that uh, injury after his encounter with Michael Boxel, of all people, who had a shot and goal. There was a bit of collision there, and Daniel Vega was being treated. There was a point where I thought that he was going to be subbed off, and it would have been cool to see JT Marcinkowski play. Good news for JT and bad news for Vega is, I think, and maybe hope more so, that JT will be given an opportunity whenever the next competition, San Jose Earthquakes, are allowed to play in occurs. It's worth a shot at this point. How many chances are you going to give Daniel Vega, who has made so many opportunities and so many mistakes? I say that as if I didn't just make a mistake there. The point is, as a goalkeeper, when you make so many high-profile mistakes, you have to be accountable and you have to be prepared to sit a game out or two. And JT Marcinkowski deserves another chance. I'm not saying that a backup goalkeeper can turn a team into a contender, but it is an option worth considering. Especially, it is a risk considering during the FA Cup Final, we saw what happened with Chelsea versus Arsenal. Kepa did lose his starting spot, and... Willie Caballero ended up taking his place. And he is a go good goalkeeper, although he was a backup for Chelsea for much of his time there. Didn't necessarily do that well, and then Arsenal did go on to win the FA Cup. So you do have to temper your expectations when you ask for an internal goalkeeping change. But I do hope that JT Marcinkowski gets his chance. And then 
we look at the defenders. Shea Salinas, he did have that one brilliant goal against uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps to win the game in stunning fashion. I think he's a good player and he will continue to be a part of the San Jose Earthquakes organization not only when he retires, but I'm sure he'll be around in some capacity. I think Florian Youngworth would have been a good player to see get more minutes in this tournament, but Almeida, he rarely switches his lineup, and he rarely switches his defenders. And granted, defenders, other than goalkeepers, of course, for most managers, you do not want to change too often. Because that understanding between back three, back four, back five, whatever, is very important. And if you disrupt that too often, that can lead to weakening your defense. Especially if you come up against a team whose defense has played so many games together. And we're seeing that right now with the Seattle Sounders. Seattle Sounders had a very good defense during their MLS Cup runs. But now with the exit of key players, namely Roman Torres and Chad Marshall, they're struggling right now in that area too. They were unable to contain LAFC. And part of it is because of the new defenders that have come in, namely Ariaga, haven't been good enough. But also it's because this is a new combination of players over in Seattle, particularly in defense. And like I said with Marcinkowski, do I expect Youngworth to take either Cassia or Alanis' place and automatically solve everything? Of course not. But it's an option worth considering, and Almeida should make that opportunity happen, I think. And then a couple more young defenders that are on the bench. Marcos Lopez, who he missed some time due to an injury and I believe had surgery as well. Paul Marie, he played one game in this tournament and he was okay. The MLS super draft pick for Sam's Earthquakes, Tanner Beeson, was on the bench. And then the more offensive options, Chris Wondolowski, of course, he is the super sub of this team. He is going to be an important part of the San Jose Earthquakes for the rest of his playing career for sure and like Chase Salinas I expect him to be a part of the organization even after he retires he is San Jose Earthquakes when people suggest they should give this guy a statue I feel like oftentimes they mean it in a joking fashion but if there's any active MLS player who when they retire deserves a statue Chris Wondolowski is that guy. Have it in Avaya Stadium or somewhere nearby in San Jose. Make it happen, please. That would be awesome. However, I do think that this team does rely on Wondolowski to bail them out time after time. And as great as he is, he is 37 years old. We do not know when his last game will be but it will be probably within the year from this podcast. That is a sad fact, but father time is undefeated in every sport. We have yet to see father time defeat the likes of, you know, 
I'm not saying Chris Wondolowski is Tom Brady or LeBron James because we know that the NFL and NBA, they are the top leagues of their sports. MLS is not quite that. But he will get to them. He will get to Wondolowski. Father time is undefeated. And then Danny Hooson, he's an enigma for me. I thought he would make more of an impact on the San Jose Earthquakes than he did. It was originally a loan deal that was made permanent, similar to Christian Espinoza, and I suspect that might happen with Osvaldo Alaniz. But he's better than Andy Rios, I'll give him that, but Andy Rios is a low bar, as harsh as that sounds. One player that I am excited about going forward is Cade Cowell. He's a young player. He's 16 years old. That isn't incredible. He's eight years younger than me. That is weird to think about. And he wasn't even alive in the 2002 World Cup where the USA beat Mexico and they made it to the quarterfinals. That's nuts, but he didn't play like he was 16 years old at times in this tournament. He didn't get a whole lot of minutes, but when he did, he was causing problems for the opposing defenders. He was making good passes. He was His spacing was excellent. I hope Cowell gets more opportunities going forward because I think he is one of the San Jose Quicks players that truly did increase his stock, make it go in the... Uh, positive direction. And then on the bench for Minnesota, real quick, uh, Brent Coleman, he didn't play. He was notable for Minnesota United for not wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt, instead wearing End Racism. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Obviously, both messages are pretty good, but I think when you try to stray away from Black Lives Matter, you're tr it does appear like a bit of a deflection and a lack of commitment. Especially when you are on a team with other players such as Marlon Harrison, who have been so outspoken about the George Floyd murder and the protests and everything that have transpired since then. But... Other than that, I don't believe him or anyone associated with Major League Soccer is against this movement, this idea that people of color and black people in particular need to be respected and feel safe in their communities, not just in the soccer community, in every aspect of society. And moving back into soccer talk, Minnesota United can also call on the likes of Raheem Edwards, 25-year-old Canadian international, Aaron Schoenfeld, he's 30 years old, he's been around the block a bit more, and he's played a bit part role, but he's starting to become more of a fixture in the Minnesota setup. And another young player that we didn't see in this game, but does still have potential, is Mason Toy. I think, especially in the 
U.S. men's national team circles, one of the biggest holes in the last several years has been forwards. And that's why fans clamor for the likes of Timothy Weah and Josh Sargent to play for clubs in Europe that will give them game time, which is a tough situation for a lot of American players, particularly young players. But there's still always people who will look at any sort of American forward in MLS who shows potential that they can make that step up and potentially knock Josie Altidore or Giassi Zardes a peg or two in the pecking order. Because Altidore and Zardes are capable of scoring goals. We know that and we expect that as that's their position. But they haven't been great lately in U.S. say jerseys. That being said, who knows, maybe the ship might have already sailed with Mason Tour with Io Akinola getting hot in this tournament, scoring five goals. Unless Canada or Nigeria cap time first. Well, we'll see. In terms of international soccer, we have no idea what's going to happen next. CONCACAF released some information about the World Cup qualifying format, how that's going to be adjusted, but it's going to be a logistical nightmare trying to get so many players from different countries, different leagues, different clubs in different venues for these qualifiers. Then, let's see, what else do we have to talk about? Can the San Jose Earthquakes win a tournament, whether it be an MLS Cup, a U.S. Open Cup? MLS is back if a tournament like this were to ever happen again, which I doubt it. Or even an MLS Supporter Shield. I'm not even going to consider CONCACAF Champions League, because not only is San Jose Earthquakes light years away from winning that tournament, they're still far distance away from qualifying for it. And MLS clubs in general seem to be allergic to winning that competition. When it comes to Liga Mekis, I am a huge Chivas de Guadalajara fan, but when they beat Toronto FC in that Champions League final, as much as I was celebrating with the Chivas fans for that triumph, I did think to myself, Toronto probably blew a very good opportunity to give MLS some respect and recognition. Especially when that's when they had Sebastian Giovinco. The dynamite Italian forward, another great attacking player that was brought to the MLS as a DP because it's all about offense in MLS with the DPs. But anyway, can the San Jose Earthquakes win a tournament with a man marking system? My answer right now is yes, perhaps an optimistic yes, but they need a plan B. And I do not know what that plan B is because, frankly, 
Omega has not shown much of a plan B. Sanjay earthquakes live and die by this man marking system. It is a high risk, high reward strategy, and we've seen a lot more risk than reward. Another question I have to ask, and I think a lot of Sanjay earthquakes fans are asking, is what is the best possible lineup for the earthquakes? And I don't have a straightforward answer for this. I think there's still a lot of question marks in a lot of places. Goalkeeper is a question mark. Center back pairing is a question mark. Midfield, left winger, striker. Based off the personnel the San Jose Earthquakes have right now, if I were to line up my best 11, it would probably be, unfortunately, Daniel Vega, because as much as I like JC, JT Marcinkowski, Vega is still a bit more proven at this level, which I guess is not saying much. My back four would be Tommy Thompson, would be Florian Youngworth, Osvaldo Alanis, and Nick Lima. The midfield would be Judson, Erickson, and Jackson Ewell. Though, if Magnus Erickson leaves, they have to make a signing there, and they have to look at other options for Judson. And then the front three, I think Espinoza is untouchable. He is the most talented player on this team. He should be the right winger. And then I think Rios should not have a starting spot as striker. But I don't think Chris Wondolowski, he can play 90 minutes week in, week out or even like 70 minutes and be effective. I think he would still be a super sub, so by default I would have to give the nod to Danny Goosen. And I'm not convinced by anyone in the left wing spot. That goes inconsistent. Carlos Fierro hasn't been an impactful player on this team. And I don't want to throw Kate Cowell in the deep end yet, so I might have to just fold and say backo for left winger. But... The fact that I'm not optimistic about some of these players when I list my best possible lineup for the San Jose Earthquakes shows that this team needed more work in the transfer window. And I understand that there are certain MLS teams that are going to get the stars no matter what. If you're an LA team, you're going to get the Carlos Velas and Javier Hernandez's all those good players, I understand that. If you're a New York team, you're probably going to get that sort of preferential treatment as well. Seattle is kind of in that conversation too. Toronto, and even though they haven't done much to earn it, I think the Florida teams, well, congrats to Orlando City for getting this far in this tournament, but Inter-Miami, for some reason, will be a destination but what's so bad about playing soccer in the San Francisco Bay Area? I think, unfortunately, from an international perspective, 
most people outside the United States, or even in the United States, they recognize San Francisco. But even though San Jose is part of that same metro area, they do not recognize San Jose. Maybe they should have been called the Golden State Earthquakes, like the Golden State Warriors, because then that encompasses California. But the point is, Bay Area, albeit expensive, is a great place to live. You have the Silicon Valley, you have so many opportunities and so much technology going on there. It's a very diverse area with people from all over the world, a lot of different minority communities there. So if you're a player from South America, from Africa, from Europe, from Asia, you're going to find a home in the Bay Area, in San Jose, and you're going to feel at home. And other than Hollywood, there's not much of a huge difference between San Jose and LA in terms of places where you can live, quality of homes, quality of life, opportunities. So San Jose Earthquakes has the ability to be a destination in MLS, but they operate like they're a lower division team and they have ownership that baffles me at times. Don't be afraid to bring in quality players the next transfer window you get. And the last thing I want to see is a good player like Magnus Eriksson leave without someone to take his place of the same or better level. Was this tournament a success for San Jose Earthquakes? I think the fact that they made it to the quarterfinals and this is a legitimate question is both a good and a bad, bad thing. It's good because you want to be ambitious. I don't care what team of MLS you support. You want to expect more from your team. Look at FC Cincinnati, for example. They were the bottom feeders of the team of Major League Soccer last year. They were the punching bag. But this time, they landed a few punches themselves. They beat New York Red Bulls, and they beat Atlanta United. They got out of the round 16, and they only lost to the Portland Timbers on penalties. And then there's other teams that punched above their own weight this tournament and got further than they expected, like Orlando City, for example. They topped their group, and now they're in the semifinals. But do you think Orlando City fans are going to be like, oh, yeah, I won the semifinals. This is great. Are we satisfied with that? Probably not. If you're in a tournament, you aim to win the tournament. Especially in MLS, where there's so much parity. So, in that sense, San Jose Earthquakes did exceed expectations, and they can be proud of getting to the quarterfinals. But I... In other ways, this tournament wasn't a success. The progress was mixed. Another comparison I can make is how the USA did in the 2016 Copa America, the Centenario. They got out of their group with Colombia, Costa Rica, and Paraguay. They beat Costa Rica and Paraguay, but 
after beating Ecuador in the quarterfinals, they lost badly to Argentina in the semifinals, and then they lost to Colombia in the third place match. So while the USA finished fourth, and that's still a good finish for the USA in the Copa America, they beat the teams they were supposed to, and they didn't look good enough to beat the better teams. And that's kind of how I felt about the San Jose Earthquakes at times. Vancouver Whitecaps, Chicago Fire, and Real Salt Lake, with all due respect, those are teams that San Jose Earthquakes should be able to beat. Uh, on the flip side, those are teams that they probably still think the same about San Jose Earthquakes looking at this Minnesota game. How did we lose to them? San Jose Earthquakes, they earned a 0-0 draw against Seattle Sounders. But they he didn't beat Seattle. You didn't beat the defending champs. Chicago Fire, they beat Seattle. LAFC, they beat Seattle. And Minnesota United was probably the best team that San Jose Earthquakes faced in this tournament, and they lost badly, 4-1. Even though it was 2-1 for a brief moment in the second half, Minnesota United controlled that game from start to finish, and they deservedly won. So, that is where San Jose Earthquakes is right now. They crash out of a tournament, and you never want to crash out of a tournament. You always want to go down swinging, knowing that you gave it your best effort. And on that night, at least, I don't believe that was their best effort. And I hope to see them do better. I have no idea what San Jose Earthquakes will show up in 2010 if the season resumes. Or 2021, if that's when the next season occurs and that's their next opportunity to play. I'll just briefly set up the semifinals for you. We got Orlando City versus Minnesota United in the Adrian Heat Derby. And then we have the two Ps. We got Philadelphia Union taking on Portland Timbers. And... You can't write any of these teams off. I think all four of these teams, they deserve their spots in the semifinals. And we've seen them at their peaks. And it's hard to write any of them off. But one thing's for sure. Minnesota United can no longer claim they're an underdog. Orlando City is good, but Minnesota United is the better team. They are the favorites for that matchup, in my opinion. But I think Philadelphia and Portland, I think it's pretty dang even. They're two very good teams. I'm not sure if I want to predict this, the rest of the tournament, but I'll go for it anyway. I think it'll be a Minnesota United versus Philadelphia Union final, with Philadelphia Union winning the MLS's back tournament. We'll see if I'm right or wrong, but it will be interesting to see play out. Portland Timbers are the last team left in the tournament to have won any tournament in their history. They have won an MLS Cup. No other team in this tournament have won any competition. Philadelphia Union and Minnesota United have lost U.S. Open Cup Finals, but that's not... Losing a final is not the same as winning it. And Portland Timbers are also the oldest team left in the tournament. 
they entered the MLS in 2011. No, wait. Scratch that. Philadelphia Union came in before Portland. My bad. My final question to leave off with. Who was San Jose Earthquakes player of the tournament? I'll narrow it down for me between Chris Wondolowski, Magnus Eriksson, and Christian Espinoza. But if you think it's someone else, feel free to let me know either on Twitter or Instagram. Once again, my Twitter is at IvanOrnellis2. And my Instagram is at IvanTheWriter95. Thank you for listening. This is my first podcast here on uh, Tectonic Takes of the Beautiful Game Network. This is my first solo podcast, so I apologize if I sounded nervous or if I made mistakes. I hope to learn from this experience, and I hope to continue to be entertaining and informative and make this a better product for you all. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy the rest of the MLS's back tournament. And please also watch the USL games that are available to you. I will continue to watch and support my local USL team, San Diego Loyal. And I will keep tabs as well on Sacramento Republic and all the other teams that are near and dear to my heart. Have a great day. Peace out.